0: Well, needless to say, uh, this has been a difficult week for our church, difficult week. And before I explain further, let me uh, specifically uh, speak to those of you who are either visiting for the first time or or who have been attending Kingsway uh, for some time but are not members here. Some of what I'm going to share this morning is family business, family business. And the reason for that, as I reminded our members last night, is that our church is not an organization. It's a family. I'm going to keep repeating that at different points. Because it's true. That's not like a feel-good kind of thing. God says that, that we're a body, that we're a family. And that means that our body is made up of weak and sinful men and women like me, who have been redeemed from the guilt and power of sin, adopted as God's beloved children, and joined to a local church where together we are fighting to glorify the Father by making disciples of the Son in the power of the Spirit. That's what it means to be the church. And that means we're not trying to do the following. I said this last night as well. We're not trying to convince the world that we're perfect. We've got to remember that, folks. We're not trying to do that. We're not trying to convince this community that we're flawless. To the contrary, what we are laboring to do is to show them that God has a great, big, redeeming plan for broken, sinful people like us. That's the point of the church. Not to maintain an image of perfection. Because truth be told, the folks in the world, they don't even believe that. Right? What what is one of the major objections to Christianity? Well, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. We know what we're not going to do here. We're not going to pretend that we're not hypocrites. All of us, every day of our lives, let Jesus down in different ways. That's why we need a Savior. And that's the mission of our church, to tell all those around us that we are weak and He is strong. And our weakness is what God uses to highlight his strength. It's not something to apologize for. It makes us sad. It's hard. We're going to talk about weakness, sin today, some ways. But we should never be ashamed of it when we serve a God who redeems it for his glory. Does that make sense? It's so easy to think of, Sin, brokenness, weakness, frailty, and our lives or the lives of those we love. It's something that we somehow have to either apologize for or be ashamed of or, well, yeah, you know, I guess that's true. That happened. It, it did. But God says that that's a stage for redemption. That's a theater for his glory. And that's the kind of church we want to be. So let me give you a, a brief summary of what we, we shared at our members' meeting last night. Okay, and I'm going to keep this brief. We honored our members by going into a much more length last night. And if you're a member and weren't able to join us, we're working on a way to get a recording of all that was shared last night to you. Um, I've known our senior pastor, Gene Emerson, for 25 years. I grew up under his pastoral leadership, and for the last eight years, I have served with him joyfully laboring by his side as a pastor in this congregation. Gene has faithfully shepherded our church for over 26 years. If you're doing the math, yes, I came to Kingsway when I was six years old. And this is the only senior pastor that I can remember all my life. Uh, During that time, I have known him, if you don't know Gene, I have known him, to be a trustworthy man who loves God loves people, and walks with integrity in public and in private. That's true. I can say that. Uh, He's one of my closest friends, and what I'm about to share has not changed my affection or my gratitude for him in the slightest bit. Nothing I shared last night has changed my affection or my gratitude for Gene in the slightest bit. So let me bring you up to speed on what we shared last night. Uh, last month, Gene, our senior pastor, was found guilty in Chesterfield County Court of soliciting a prostitute. And to this day, he continues to maintain that he is innocent of any illegal or illicit activity, though he has humbly acknowledged a significant lapse in judgment regarding his conduct throughout the entire situation which he shared last night. Folks, we respect the courts here as an authority established by God, but we know they're not perfect, right? And in light of his claim of innocence, we support Gene's right to consider taking further legal action. But God's word is very clear. God's word is very clear in 1 Timothy 3 that an elder must be, among other things, both above reproach and well thought of by outsiders. So regardless of whether he should or shouldn't be found guilty, the court's current decision has damaged his public reputation to the point where he's no longer qualified to serve as a pastor right now. And for the good of the church, Uh, Jean has agreed to resign. It's really hard, pal. I never thought I would have to say that. It's in my heart good to see you sing, God, we trust you. Uh, You need to know that Gene is convinced that's the right thing to do. You can ask him that if you wonder. We're not strong-arming him (coughs) in any way. And as we've talked to other leaders, (coughs) both inside and outside our church, they've confirmed that this is the right thing to do. Needless to say, folks, it's, breaks my heart to make that decision, but I can say before you and before God that, as I did last night, I'm convinced it's the right decision, and if you live long enough, you know that obeying God's word, doing what's right, hurts sometimes, hurts, I want to remind you that Jesus told us to expect as much. What did he say? If anyone follow after me, as an individual, as a church, we would have to what? Take up our cross. Follow him. Or he said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We like to sing about the second part. We tend to forget the first part. And in his perfect wisdom, the Lord has chosen to hold the elders in his church, right? this isn't Gene's church or my church, this is the Lord's church to a higher standard. And we have to uphold the glory of God by protecting the reputation of the gospel and the reputation of our church that matters to the Lord. And so it has to matter to us. Everything I've just said to you is true, but... As I mentioned, it it grieves my heart. I never thought in eight years of ministry that I would have to have these conversations with Gene, let alone be standing up here and sharing this with with you, my church family. Let me make two things very clear up front. Two things very clear. First of all, you heard this last night. Folks, you need to know that we're not going to stop loving this guy. We're just not going to stop. Okay? That means we're not going to avoid him. When, when, when Gene comes in, when I see him, I'm not going to think, ooh, what do I say? I think I'll get coffee. <laughs> no. We're going to love this man. We're going to love this man even though, as I understand, it has for you, many of you in different ways, your trust in him has taken a hit. I want to remind you that we don't decide whether or not we're going to love somebody based on whether or not we completely trust them at all times and all ways. By the way, if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? Let's just remember, well, everything I'm saying is not like special church crisis language from the other pastor. This is, this is gospel living. And so even if your trust has been shaken, for some of you maybe it hasn't, but if it has, that doesn't change our call to love him. Because we love, not because we trust the person, we don't even get to love because we like a person. You know why we love? Because God has loved us. And all of you should be very grateful for that right now, that God has not treated us according to our sins. That's the first thing we're going to do. Second thing, we're not going to judge him, shame him simply because his weakness is on display. I I want to enlist your compassion here, okay? Um, I have had a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord planted in my heart the last couple weeks, and here's why. I've been reminded that this position and this role is a big deal to God, and whatever's going on in my private life doesn't really exist in private. It's public. <laughs> I'm a public figure with a public responsibility, and that matters to God. And there's a certain, a very real part of my heart that is thinking, Lord, I don't know if I realized that I was signing up when I became a pastor to have my weaknesses just on display to the world. I mean, let's be honest. This room is full of men and women who have done. Perhaps even are doing things far worse than anything Gene's been accused of. And you wouldn't want your name with a bunch of bullet points on that screen. And I know some of your stories. But you don't have to hide that, right? Because of what I said earlier. We can bring everything into the light because Jesus Christ is redeeming God. It's good news. (laughs) the best news we could hear and i want to remind you that gene and liz both remain members in good standing and one of the most remarkable things in all this to me folks is that they don't want to go anywhere i mean how often have you heard that senior pastor and his wife senior pastor chooses to resign and they say we're not going anywhere and we're going to support the other pastors in this church that, i haven't read that on the news recently but it's how it ought to be. And I want to thank you guys for that. Thank you. As I mentioned, we went into a lot more detail with our members. And the reason for that, quite simply, is not that we're trying to hide things from the world, but because the members of this church are the men and women who have made a covenant to live in relationship before God with one another together. And as a result of that, we know that they are part of the family. And it's only right that they would be more involved in this situation than others. So if you're hearing this for the first time and thinking, oh, I wish I could have been there last night. Well, I wish so too. (laughs) And let me just encourage you that situations like this in a church have a way of reminding us that, oh, yeah, this isn't just some place I go on Sunday. Maybe it is for you right now. But if, if you're a believer, if Jesus is your Savior, He made you to be part of a family and to walk through things with your family. And so I want to encourage you, if you are not a member of this church or you're a regular attender, or maybe you're a first-time guest and you're thinking, oh my word, what kind of weekend did I pick to show up in this place? Let me make an appeal to you. How a church walks through things like this is exactly what you need to see. Some of you have shared with me that you've come from church Christian backgrounds where the resignation of a senior leader has caused the church to fall apart. In some of those cases, the departing leader Has done his best to throw as many grenades on the way out as he could. That is not pleasing to God. And if you've seen that, I want to make a commitment to you. And that commitment is only possible because I know the hearts of the people here. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. He's not throwing grenades, we're not going anywhere. And by the grace of God, we are going to link arms, love Jean, love Jesus, and not let go of our mission. Okay? And so if you're new, in an ironic way, you picked a great Sunday to be here. And I want to invite you, whether or not you're a Member or a regular tender or first time visitor uh, to sign up for what I'm calling coffee with the pastor's confession. I don't drink coffee, <laughs> so I'm not going to be drinking any coffee. But I've learned the rest of the world does, so I invite people out for coffee all the time and drink Earl Grey tea. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, Barb, with honey. So, um, I want to invite you to come to any of these meetings. I'll just describe them real quickly. If you go on our webpage right now or this afternoon, it's a big logo at the top. It says Coffee with the Pastors. What you can sign up for are six or so. We've scheduled about six. Uh, hour to two meetings over in the office. One's in the morning. Most of them are in the evening. Some are this week. Some are further out because we've got folks on vacation and I just don't want to miss anybody. Uh, where you can come with and sit around in a circle with me, one of the other uh, pastors or pastors in training, and ask all the questions you've got, give feedback, give critique, ask for information. And I mean it when I say you don't have to be a member to do that, okay? You don't have to be a member to do that. And I, I really want to encourage you, if you're not a member, to consider coming to that so you can hear from us and ask questions. If we run out of spots, we'll create more but please take advantage of that opportunity. Um, Truth be told, and I've alluded to this, there's just no way to hear this kind of news without having your trust shaken. And I want you to know that as a pastor, I get that. I'm not just going to say, well, trust Jesus. Why do you even care about who's leading you? Well, no, you ought to care about who's leading you. You really should, because it's our job to represent the care of the great shepherd. And so... You need to be able to trust your pastors. And if your trust has been shaken, as I imagine it has in some way, all I would ask is that you give us a chance to prove ourselves trustworthy in the way we handle this process. Because at every church, if you stay long enough, goes through a hard time. I was talking to one of my professors at Southern Seminary, and He's preparing guys like me and younger for pastoral ministry. And he just said, gentlemen, I want to warn you. I've been doing this a long time. One of those white haired guys. And when when one of those guys says that, you know, you just kind of stop. and Okay, I'm ready. Um, And he said, every five to seven years, you're going to hit a crisis. And again, I thought, nobody brought that prophetic word the day I got (laughs) ordained. But you know what? It's true. And I don't say this to freak you out, but, you know, it's almost five years to the day when we went through a hard time back in 2010. And I don't say that to bring a sense of foreboding or to cause all of us to jump ship about four and a half years from now. (laughs) But simply to prove that what matters is not whether the hard time comes. Please hear that. What matters is whether a church walks through it with integrity, humility, and a tenacious trust in the Lord that never abandons our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. Okay? Now, I make no claim to do that perfectly. But I do believe by the grace of God, the pastors in this church are going to do that faithfully. That's what Gene has done here, as I have observed him for the last 26 years. And as long as I am leading this pastoral team, that is precisely what we're going to continue to do. So let me add one more thing before we turn our attention to God's word. Because I'm eager to preach his word and in some ways to turn our attention away from Gene and away from us. Uh, In light of Gene's resignation, I have agreed to serve as an interim lead pastor. Every one of those words is important. I am 31 years old. I cannot in good conscience call myself an interim senior pastor. Do not call me a senior pastor. I will consider rebuking you. Um, That's just more personal preference, truth be told. But the interim part is important, and here's why. I've requested... And the guys here and Mickey Conley, a regional leader in Sovereign Grace who was with us last night, have all affirmed that it would not be wise for us or me to make some sort of immediate senior or lead pastor transition. The last thing you want to do in a crisis is make a bunch of decisions. I mean, some of the times you've you got to make decisions. I, I've had to make a lot of them in the last couple of weeks. But we want to wait on that one for about six months so that we can discern together as a church um, if I am called to do that or if God is calling someone else to do that. And I, I want you to hear that from me in good conscience because truth be told, um, I need a lot of time to pray about that. That's a big deal. I need time to pray about that. But I want you to know in the interim that I am convinced that God has called me to be here for such a time as this. Okay. I love you. I love you. And though the last couple weeks have been the hardest in my life, it is a privilege to do this for you. And I look around this room, and I don't see placeholders. Right, I see brothers and sisters. I see sheep. I see people that the Lamb of God, Died for. You're, you're precious to him. And because I'm convinced of that, I'm going to lead you. And I'm going to shepherd you. And whatever the Lord reveals over the next six months is up to him. I trust him with that. But you need to know you're not going to be without faithful pastoral leadership for six months. I'm eager to lead, and I'm eager to care for you. And I'm thankful that I don't have to do it alone. One of the hardest things in all this has been that uh, Chris DeLogos, who's been um, a vital part in many ways of this leadership team here, this eldership for a while though we have yet to set him in officially, has been in Bolivia um, for a long time. He's getting back, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday. But if it weren't for Chris and my brother Josh Kruger, I just couldn't do this. So I'm eager to lead. I'm grateful I'm part of a strong plurality. Okay, let's let God speak, shall we? Let's let God speak. Jody, could you come on up and read a portion of 2 Corinthians 1? I've asked Jody to read this because I believe the Lord has a word for us from this passage. 2
1: Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Blessed. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many.
0: In case you weren't able to get your Bible open like me. I uh, do flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 so that you can test and see that what I am sharing is not the smooth speech of man, but the unfailing Word of God. All right. Here's the first thing I think we need to remember at a juncture like this, folks. To choose to follow Christ is to choose to walk a path of suffering. I said that earlier. That came as no surprise to the Apostle Paul. If if you had said that to Paul, hey Paul, I want you to consider something. To choose to follow Christ is to choose to walk a path of suffering. He would have said, could you have anything new to share? (laughs) He knew that. He was familiar with suffering and he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth to urge the Corinthians to continue to follow him as he followed Christ in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Now, let's be honest. As Americans, we tend to think, do we not, that suffering is a sign that something's gone horribly wrong. We're not on the right path. If we were, life would be easy. A healthy church, so we think, is a church that never experiences suffering. Not true. Paul knew better than that. He knew that suffering in the life of a Christian and suffering in the life of a local church is not just occasional or random. It's ordinary. It's normal. And anything other than suffering is a gracious gift from God. Folks, in many ways, it's because we have this luxury of living in this point in history, in this nation, at this time, that we, we don't just know everything I just said instinctively. We have to remind each other of that, that normal life for most Christians in most of Christian history and most churches in most of Christian history has been suffering and hardship. And the reason is that we're called to, called to follow Jesus. I mean, think about this. Jesus was the only perfect man to ever live on this earth. What happened to him? He suffered. He suffered. If you want to make a case that suffering says that something's gone horribly wrong, well then I would beg that you consider the gospel and wonder if it's our expectations that are the ones that are out of line. Paul says in verse 5, we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. I mean, I have yet to see that on a card at Hallmark or Family Christian Bookstore. You know, uh, thinking about you, just want to remind you, we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. Love. you know, No. But you could put it there because it's the Word of God. And last night was really hard. I mean, nobody wants to see their senior pastor resign, certainly under these circumstances. And let's just be honest, there's no way that the next couple weeks, months, are going to be easy. Grief doesn't go away quickly. But this I know, folks, this I know. In the midst of our suffering, we still have a reason to sing and a reason to worship. Because worshiping God isn't something that he tells us to do despite our suffering. Worshiping God is something that he teaches us to do through and in our suffering. That's where you learn how to worship God. Because when we're suffering, the Lord reveals himself in new ways to us. So notice how Paul begins verse 3. This is remarkable. I think we tend to skip over this because we want to get to the feel good comfort part. But what does he say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you know what that is? That's Paul's way of saying, Corinthians, King's way. I want you to sing. I want you to sing. I want you, you're familiar with the Matt Redmond song. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? That's what Paul's telling them to do. And they're suffering. So I look at that and I think, Paul, you just got the insensitive pastor badge. I mean, these people are hurting. Worshiping God is the last thing they feel like doing right now. Are you telling me that in the midst of my affliction, you want me to sing? Yes. Yes. The Lord's word to them and us is simple, folks. In the midst of our greatest affliction... We have every reason to bless the name of the Lord. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to three of them. Why do we have reason to bless the Lord in the midst of our affliction? Okay, point number one. Our Father is merciful. God has promised to comfort us. Okay, when Paul says, look back at verse 3, Blessed be God. He's not talking about some sort of cosmic puppeteer that's just holding all the strings of the universe you know he's talking about he's talking about our father our father and he's not just our father he's a father of mercies in other words he's the kind of father that doesn't treat you according to your sins or repay you according to your iniquities and that's good news because there are a lot of times in life when we bring affliction on ourselves, let's be honest, right? We, we make foolish decisions sometimes. We do things we regret. And in those situations, I think it's easy for us to start convincing ourselves, Lord, I don't really deserve your comfort right now because I got myself here. And I deserve to suffer. Friend, if you're a Christian, if you are trusting Jesus as your Savior and have been adopted into his family, please hear this. That is not the way your father thinks of you. He doesn't. He doesn't relate to us as his children on the basis of what we deserve. He relates to us as his children on the basis of what Christ deserved. Because Christ received what we deserved, so we could receive what Christ deserved. That's the gospel. And our Heavenly Father is merciful in that sense. And he, because He's merciful, He's promised to comfort us. Notice how Paul describes the Lord here. He says what? That He is the God of all comfort. Okay, just think about that. All true comfort in this world ultimately finds its source in the wellspring of God. All comfort, okay? I am going to pass out and take a nap this afternoon. That's going to bring comfort to my heart. You know where that comes from? It's a gift from God. I mean, let's not over-spiritualize it. You know, a night out with my wife after the last two weeks is going to be amazing. I don't care how much it costs. We're just going to have a good time. (laughs) That's comforting. But where does that comfort find its source? In God. When, when, when the Word says that He's the God of all comfort, He's not just talking about Sunday morning comfort. I left feeling good, sang some songs, preacher made me like myself more. No. The Lord is talking through Paul about all our experiences of comfort. Every comfort that is true comfort that we ever experience finds its source in God. And you will not find lasting comfort apart from God. So here's what that means for us right now. Here's what that means. Our comfort over the next few weeks isn't going to be found in understanding everything about our suffering. Okay, I I have a lot of questions about why the Lord would let our church walk through this. I do. I'm your pastor. I've got questions. Why why would the Lord allow this to happen to us? Why would the Lord allow this to happen to Gene? And truth be told, folks, I, I don't know. I mean, I can guess, but I really don't know. But here's what I'm learning. We don't have to know. We don't have to know. It's important to ask questions. It helps to get answers. But we're bound to have more questions in this life than we ever get answers. And because of that, we've got to remember that answered questions aren't even the source of our comfort. God is. And praise the Lord, He's not waiting in heaven with comfort sitting on His lap in a box, hoping that you make it up there to get it. Right? When, when Paul says that He's the God of all comfort, look at what he says at the beginning of verse 4. Who comforts us, in all our affliction. I wonder if you think of God that way. I think it's easy in suffering or hard times in our life and in our church to think of comfort as something as, as some sort of mental product where if I can just put on some piano music and consider all these abstract truths, he's sovereign, he's loving, he's wise, he's wise, he's sovereign, he's loving, that somehow I will gain a feeling of comfort. God blesses us with peace as we meditate on who He is as revealed in His Word. But what I want you to realize here is that comfort isn't something we create through our meditation. It's a personal gift that God gives. He is a comforter. He he just doesn't have comforting truths in his toolbox or, or give us comforting words to remember. He is your comforter. He draws near to personally and persistently comfort. And so to whatever degree right now you know, you and or our church, your church, is sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings, know this, that is the degree to which God promises that you are going to share abundantly in Christ's comfort. If you share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, what does Paul say? We're going to share abundantly in Christ's comfort too. And notice, God's comfort isn't just something that we're going to experience individually. It's something we share corporately. He comforts us. Which means day by day and week by week, the Lord, folks, is going to give us a steady and abiding assurance that we can rest in his sovereign and loving control of this entire situation. In other words, he's got this. He's got this. And if you want to know why you can believe that, all you've got to do is look at Jesus. That's all you've got to do, which is why Paul says that God's comfort is something that we experience through Christ. Don't Don't run over those words quickly. If we're not careful, we skip them. But but think about what that means. It means that our story is Jesus' story. That's remarkable. That God, through faith in Christ, so unites His people to Himself that whatever Christ experienced, we now know we're going to experience too. What did Christ experience when He walked on this earth? Abundant suffering. What did Christ experience by virtue of being raised from the dead, glorified, vindicated, ascended on high, waiting until all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet? Abundant comfort. And church, I want to remind you, that's our story. We're united to Christ. That's our story. Jesus' victory is our victory, and suffering in his life didn't have the final word which means that affliction and suffering in our lives individually and as a church is never going to have a final word. Jesus' story guarantees that. What's not in question is the end of Jesus' story. So if God says that His story is going to be your story, why would we question the end of our story? We can look at His story and know what our story is going to be. And that's why we've got to look at Jesus if we want to experience God's comfort. Listen to this. Because it's only when our eyes are fixed on Jesus through the word of God and prayer that God will bring an abiding assurance to your heart that you're going to make it. That's how it happens. As through the word of God and prayer, you look at Jesus and And as you do that and consider his story, the truth of the gospel, the Lord will bring to your heart an abiding, persistent assurance that by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to make it. You're going to win. You're going to overcome. And we're going to triumph. And that's not because I'm some motivational speaker. (laughs) It's because Jesus' victory guarantees our victory. Okay, that's point one. Our Father is merciful. God has promised to comfort us if we're willing to find our comfort in Christ. Point two. Why do we sing? Not only is our Father merciful, He comforts, but our hope is certain God has promised to deliver us. Okay? Our Father is merciful. He's promised to comfort us. Our hope is certain God has promised to deliver us. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Notice what he says next. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. hope you realize that's one of those moments in the Bible where God gets very real and very gritty and very earthy about the kinds of things we feel all throughout our life. I mean, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Ever despaired of life itself? Yeah, some of you raising your hands. Yeah. You know what, I'm going to ask. Ever despaired of life itself? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think right now as a church we're despairing of life itself. But, but in a sense, it taps the category. <laughs> Because it's easy, certainly for me right now, to feel like, Lord, I am utterly burdened beyond my strength. I don't know if I can keep going. You're pushing my endurance. You're pushing my endurance. Paul goes on to say in verse 9, he felt like God had given him the sentence of death, like God was some sort of judge in heaven and said, Paul, you're going to die. And you know, it's really okay to say stuff like that. It's not a lack of faith. I mean, the Apostle Paul said it. We need to be honest with God. We need to be honest one another over the next couple weeks about the depth of our suffering. Okay, last night I shared with our members, let's talk as a family. That's one of the things I mean by that. To whatever degree you're suffering, hurting, be honest with God about that. Be honest with your brothers and sisters about that. Okay, but look at what Paul says next. Verse 9, we felt we received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves. We need this. We really need this because we are so good at relying on ourselves. Let's do another show of hands. How many of you are good at relying on yourself? Yes, I'm professional. I wish I could get a signing bonus for that. I am good at relying on myself myself my decisions, my wisdom, my ability, my influence, my power to bring Matthew's preferred future to pass. But folks, God loves you and me and this church too much to let us live with that delusion because it's just a delusion. We don't naturally stop relying on ourselves. God has to, what, make us. Rely not on ourselves. Notice that word. He has to make us. We don't volunteer to stop like we ought to. He has to make us. He has to bring about situations in our life or in our family, our church family, that cause us to realize we can't rely on ourselves. Which is basically a nice way of saying that the Father is committed to breaking our pride and self-sufficiency so that we would rely not on ourselves, what's he say next, verse 9, but on God who raises the dead. Think about that. Do you realize that relying on God in a tough situation isn't just the right thing to do? It is the smart thing to do. (laughs) It's the smart thing to do. do. Why do I say that? Paul could have just said, so that we would rely on God. But he didn't say that. He said, so that we would rely on God who raises the dead. Okay, in other words, we have something more than the comfort of knowing that Jesus' story is our story, and that suffering will not have the final word. Here's what it is. We get to experience right now in this present situation nothing less than the life-sustaining church preserving power of god who raises the dead you know i was was thinking about that last night you you ever ever heard a group of of little kids talk about their parents you know i did this i'm sure probably not with a great attitude all the time but you know it, it usually the conversation usually goes something like this right well who's your daddy Well, my daddy's a teacher. Well, what's your daddy? My daddy works on computers. Well, guess what? My daddy drives a police car. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Well, my daddy can fix anything. And before too long, you know, it's this sort of almost humorous conversation with all these little boys. Well, my daddy, well, my daddy, well, my daddy. Listen, Paul's pulling a my daddy here. And he just won up to your daddy. <laughs> okay? Because here's what Paul is saying to us in verse nine. Christian, guess what your daddy does? He raises the dead. He raises the dead. And all the little kids got really quiet. I mean, that's the ultimate move. You know, my daddy, your daddy, he raises the dead. And though this transition that we're walking through as a church is going to take time, I make no pretension to think otherwise, there's going to be bumps, but this is what we have to remember. Our dad raises the dead. He raises the dead. And as we look to the past, we see how God has always delivered our church from trouble. And as we look to the future... We see that God will always deliver our church from trouble. So what is the smart thing to do in the present? To set my hope in God who raises the dead. That's not feel good. That's just smart. It's smart. If you know who your daddy is. Our hope is certain God has promised to deliver us. My final point. Father is merciful. Our hope is certain. Here's the last one. Our mission is clear. God has promised to use us. Okay, look back at verse 3. Back at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Notice the next two words. What are they? Shout them out. So that... Okay, some of you are sleeping. won't call you out. Try it again. Next two words. What are they? So that. Right. That means that God's comfort in your life, God's mercy in your life, has an aim and an end that is bigger than your life. And bigger than your church. We need to hear that today. God's going to comfort us. God's going to deliver us. But He's going to do it for a reason. To put it in football terms, He's going to call a reverse. I think I need to explain that. <laughs> okay, reverse is where you get handed the football, and, but do you keep it? No. No, the first guy that gets it doesn't keep it. You want to make the other team think you're going to keep it, but you don't. You give it to another guy and he runs that way. That's how God's comfort is supposed to work. He's going to deliver and comfort us so that we can testify to His goodness and hand off to the people around us a gift of faith in the power of God. God doesn't comfort us so that we would simply feel better. I don't always like that. Truth be told, I just want to feel better. I mean, honestly, I just want the last couple weeks of my life to go away and we just kind of go back to what we all love, and and just sort of sail without a ripple into the sunset. I mean, who wouldn't want that? But God isn't going to comfort us so that we can feel better and get back to the status quo. God is going to comfort us so that we can give His comfort to others. He has an agenda bigger than making us feel better. He's promised to use us, to use you, so that as God comforts you, Kingsway, in this situation as the Lord helps us trust in the situation, that the end result of that is not that six months from now church feels comfortable again. The end result of that is that as we're in this community and people are coming into this building, we have something to give them. You don't learn the comfort of God if you don't go through affliction. And if you don't go through affliction and learn the comfort of God, you have nothing to give to others in any affliction. That's the way it works. It's a reverse. Because there are things about God that you only learn in a hard time. And He's promised to teach us those things. To teach us that we can trust Him as our faithful Savior so that we can help other people trust Him as their faithful Savior. And unless we navigate the next few months of difficulty, I would be so bold to say with Paul that we are not going to learn how to comfort people around us. And God is too jealous for his glory and the salvation of the men and women in this community and the, the men and women who are your next door neighbors to not use you to speak words of eternal comfort. And that means that he is going to lead you Individually, lead us corporately through seasons of affliction so that we can experience his comfort and give it to others. All of that means, King's Way, that God isn't done with us. He's promised to use us. And if you ask church growth experts, how do you build a healthy church? I don't know if I've ever seen on their list have the senior pastor resign. Never seen that on the list. But you know what? And I say this humbly in the fear of the Lord. I think it belongs in some cases on God's list. Can I say that? And though it doesn't make sense, and I don't understand, and we may never understand, the Lord knows what he's doing. And if it's going to take this to help us take our next step as a family in learning to receive God's comfort so we actually have something to give to others, then so be it, Lord. So be it. I want to challenge you to respond in three ways this week. I think we need real clarity when we're grieving. So here's my attempt. Do three things this week. Number one, find your comfort in Christ. Number two, be merciful to others as God has been merciful to you, starting with Gene. Number three, labor in prayer for God's blessing on our church. Okay, look at verse 11. We'll end with this. Paul says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I want us to do that as a family right now. And I believe it would please the Lord King's way if we just took some extended time this morning to pray. To pray that God would comfort us, to pray that God would help us to trust Him, and to pray that even this week God will begin to use us as we experience His comfort to give it to others. So, I want us to break up in groups of four to five people. I don't want you to be limited in what you pray to what I've shared. But we're going to take some unhurried time to pray for Gina and Liz, to pray for our church, to pray for the things I've talked about this morning. And then we're going to Spend some time singing to the Lord. So let's do that right now. Break up wherever you are, and I'll uh, call us back in a few minutes.